You can't think about them as versus one another. You have to think about them as conjoined. One does not happen without the other. Think of them as a marriage. Content and commerce is kind of the way I usually refer to them is if you're inviting someone from brand invite someone from performance to me. If you're inviting someone from performance to the discussion, you invite someone from brand. They really have to happen in sync. Jazz, thank you so much for joining us today from the great state of New Jersey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you and I have had a number of conversations, even over the past year or so, about related topics. And I'm excited to hit on what is a very, I think, just relevant marketing and you know broader business question, especially for retail in this time where in the retail broader world, as retailers struggle to sort of find themselves, find their identity, transform into this more modern climate, they're really struggling to figure out how to balance the short and long term, right? The brand mm-hmm. versus performance. I'd love to talk to you about this, this overall question of how do you successfully balance brand and performance at an established brand, at an established retailer? In, in terms of really kind of how I define brand versus performance or growth marketing, brand to me is really just about the positioning and the storytelling and who are we? What do we stand for? Why would the client care about our product versus, you know, a thousand other retail apparel companies out there selling the same item and probably at a discounted price? So I think when a brand is doing it well, they're clear about who they are. They, they're clear about what they stand for and they answer those questions clearly and can articulate that in their campaign and branded communication strategies. From a performance and growth marketing standpoint, I think the way I look at performance and the way I have in my past life and in my career is performance is really growth marketing, right? It's how do you take those branded ideas and branded stories and that content and manifest that and kind of bring that to life across all different marketing touch points, whether that be digital touch points or in store. I think people tend to talk about growth marketing really as just being digital media and all of our paid and performance channels, but really growth is, it it also has to do with the in-store aspect of it, right? And how you're leveraging growth marketing to drive her in the store and or online. So really that's kind of how I define the two. It's really the branding, the positioning, the storytelling, and then the growth is how do I take that and kind of disseminate that in the different channels that I want to communicate it in? Yeah, totally. I think maybe there's this confusion that's happening where where I think, okay, brand stays high level and you don't need to think about the performance of it as much. And then performance is much more granular, tactical, and where the operations happen. And based on what you're saying, and I totally agree with it, I think is as a brand leader or someone who's developing the brand, whether it's in a silo, which is not ideal, or, or more collaboratively, you still need to think about how that's going to be operationalized. What audience, obviously, but not, not just who your audience is or what your brand stands for, right, or what your messaging should be, but also with those things in mind, how are you going to get it into market in a scalable way, in a way that makes sense, right? I think digital marketers, you know, closely synonymous with performance, you know, performance-based or performance-driven marketing naturally gravitate that way. Just so I think that drives that urgency where, you know, more branded budgets, more traditional media, although, you know, changing as we see and, and it becomes more addressable, are less influenceable on, an, on a daily or, or, or weekly basis or even monthly basis sometimes, which it fosters that problem, you know, or enables that problem of, 
okay, yeah, I just think about this creative, I think about this spot, or I think about this, you know, message that I, I can then hand it off, right? And I don't need to worry about it anymore. And I think is that's that's no longer acceptable. Is that right? That's exactly right. And I think the word you just used to operationalize is an important one because you know, I think the way that brands historically, and I'm not speaking for all, but just in my experience, that have a that the way they historically approach the way they develop content and ideas is is really kind of exactly what you said. Who do we want to target? Who's our customer? What do we want to say as a brand? What's the message? And then they start to strategize and plan for that. And the dissemination of that content in the different areas of, you know, the digital landscape or offline landscape tend to be kind of second, as opposed to really digital should be driving the way, right? Where is the customer online currently, right? Who's our target customer and where is she? And what is she responding to? What is she not responding to? Then let's figure out how do we develop and tailor our content communication strategies to feed into what she's already doing, right? Instead of kind of forcing our, our own brand agenda. Um, so yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. And, and I think that that's been the historical way of approaching things. And, and there are brands that are kind of changing their structures and thinking about how they work differently and trying to create some of that synergy. But you know, it starts at the top. It starts with having the right leaders and leaders with open minds and, and willing to partner and kind of work together in, in kind of figuring this journey out. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, there's no silver bullet like anything else. There, there are several things at any company that are lagging that, that are preventing them from kind of realizing the potential of this balance. Right, right. And I think, too, you know, we've had conversations previously about, you know, when you're working for, depending on the kind of retailer you're working for, right? If you're working for a luxury high-end retailer, you probably have more leeway to always prioritize content, storytelling, brand positioning, because most of what you're putting out there in the market to drive the business from a, from a performance standpoint, it's not, how do I say this in the right way? It's not necessarily as challenging. You know, I'm, I'm going to just say Gucci, for example. Gucci will sell itself, right? I don't have to kill myself with you know, exactly what I'm saying and how I'm saying it to a t retained versus a newly acquired customer, Gucci will sell itself, right? Like some websites you go to that, you know, use less sophisticated or less um, high-end models, but they're selling or they're using mannequins or silos, but they're selling $3,000 gowns, right? They can get away with that because the gown and the brand is going to sell itself. Whereas most of the retailers, most of the market, 95% market, which is, you know, mass retail or these specialty retail brands, you know, you have to work hard at everything you're putting out there and you have to be really kind of thoughtful in, in the content that you're creating to kind of drive, you know, that customer into the brand. In summary, it's hard, right? We, we agree that both brand and performance as a business overall and as a marketer is super critical. Organizationally, there's a need to better bridge that gap. And that I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of retailers out there. We can't say majority, we don't know, but a lot of larger established retailers out there that are lacking in this way. We can't use that as an excuse, right? So maybe let, let's, let's dig in there on that, right? How do you balance brand and performance in your roles in the past, Jazz? How would you think about at least doing your best, right? Where do you start and do your best to to balance that brand and balance that performance? 
It's a good question. I mean, and, and again, it's diff- it's very difficult. And um, a point I was going to make earlier that just came back to me is when you're dealing with like high end brands, you have the luxury of being able to focus on the brand story 90% of the time, right? When you're dealing with specialty retailers or mass retailers, you have to balance driving the business 95% of the time, but also keeping the brand positioning and evoking emotion and all of that top of mind. And so it becomes very challenging, especially when operationally digital and brand and creative haven't either had the foresight because some of the decisions, you know, you're chasing business or they're just not aligning early enough to say, these are the things we need to do. We need to support the business. And these are the things we're going to put out there to really that are just about driving emotion and just about brand positioning and really are kind of, I guess, our upper funnel awareness tactics. Right. Um, but I think what marketers can do in the in, when they're in a position of, you know, needing to balance having you know a big brand that they're working for, needing to keep the brand top of mind and driving the communication strategy, but also being held and tied to traffic targets, revenue targets, ROAS targets, conversion targets, whatever it may be. It's really about that strategic planning up front, right? Typically what I try to start with before I even know exactly what the campaign strategies are is I typically try to understand from our consumer, well, not consumer insights. It's kind of a new, um, I think a lot of companies are starting to create this this wheelhouse of team members. It's really like a customer strategy team or customer success team that really kind of helps bridge a little bit of the CRM data and the consumer insights data to tell us a story about who the customer is, right? So it's just kind of that added layer of like taking all that data, which marketing typically historically has just ingested and said, okay, now what? You have all this, you know, granular customer data from the CRM team and you have all this macro consumer insights data from your consumer insights team. And this team is kind of synthesizing that information and saying, okay, here's what we need to do and here's who we need to go after in order to be successful this quarter, this year, the next three years, whatever that time frame is. And so what I have found is, and I think companies need to think about creating that arm because it's been definitely valuable in, in my past life, is taking that information that they're sharing and start starting your marketing planning with, with that, right? And saying, okay, Based on this information I've received from my consumer insights team, I need to go after X, Y, and Z customer customer um, segments in order to hit our target. So leveraging that information is, is kind of the advice I would give to, to marketers, whether they have an MTA or not, is take that information from your, even if you have to piece it together yourself from your CRM and your consumer insight partners, figure out who it is you need to market and then take that information to your CMO and your your VPs of marketing and have a conversation around, this is what I need to deliver from a performance and growth standpoint over the next, even if you just focus on a quarter at a time, which is what most people actually do because you can think a year in advance, but here's what I need to do. And if you have brick and mortar, you know, have that information broken out by in-store and online. So you know what you need to focus on from an in-store and online perspective, because some of those dollars you're spending online, you're not going to realize the return online. You're going to realize that return maybe two or three months later in store. Take that information and now be proactive in going to your marketing partners and saying, Okay, based on what I have and what I know about the customer and what I need to drive from a growth standpoint, let's talk about the stories, the content, 
the branding and everything that you're thinking about that you've heard from your merchant peers. And let's think about how to put this information together to create content out in the digital world to market to these customers. And I think, you know, it takes time. And, and listen, I just said that at an, in a very high level, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of detail. It's a lot of information. And it takes a lot of partnership, right? You've got to have vendors that are on board and partnering with you and looking at the performance on an ongoing basis. You've got to have a strong creative team and copy team to be able to support the versioning. You've got to have, you know, when you when you talk about doing some of this stuff at scale, you've got to have the right digital tools in place, whether email optimization tools, that your content can be optimized in real time or site personalization tools. I mean, it's definitely a crawl, walk, run approach. But I think at the macro level, brands and, and digital marketing leaders can start there and feed that information to their marketing teams to kind of get the ball rolling, if that answers your question. Yeah, it, it answers my question and then some, as usual. There's a ton we can unpack for several hours in, in even that in that you know, sort of great articulation of what to be thinking about there. A couple of things that... that we're running through my mind are one you started by talking about looking at the data available to you whether consumer insights but it goes beyond consumer insights right it's the customer data it's consumer insights it is maybe other macro information that is available about your industry or, or segment and looking at what is very common and and i agree no, nothing is easy nothing is simple but let's call it, let's use basic just knowing that there's a lot more complex things that we could be doing basic segments of of new existing reactivated even that as a starting point and having that visibility into those top three segments or those three basic segments is very powerful. And I bring that up, you know, and, and, and I think it's a good takeaway for many of the the Riffs listeners that, that listen to this, this episode. If you're not doing that, that's a problem, right? And you're going to be falling behind at a competitive disadvantage. But the other thing that I really like about what you're hitting on is I think I would distill your overview into you got to translate brand and performance and all these other things that are at play there into the data and information you have about your customer now and over the long term. And you said LRP or long range plan. And if that is your starting point, if it's not, are, do you start with brand or do you start with performance? Here's your, let's say, three segments and the information you know about them. And then, you know, your finance or merch or whoever is saying, here is what our long range plan is. Buy segments, uh, you know, how many customers you need to acquire, or what are we doing to reactivate, uh, how much growth are we looking at of our existing base, or whatever the, if you're, you maybe have a more complex uh, segmentation in place, and you go beyond that, whatever you have available to you, you have that as a starting point, then it's like, then it's, it's sort of this, it brings together the brand and performance conversation. And if there's positioning and messaging and overall strategy that is not driving the, you know, two to five year numbers that you need, then it's not working, right? It's, it's bringing an element of performance. You know? And from a performance standpoint, if you don't have the messaging and creative that is driving it, right, that needs to align back to your brand, then it's not working for you. But it's all it's all comes by summary. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I think that there's a lot of ways. And like you said, the, the key client segments, and I, I said marketing 101, because it's like the basics, right? New, retain, reactivate it. But they, they're immensely powerful buckets. I mean, if you can move, you know, behavior in any one of those buckets, you know, by 1%, the, the, the change could be, you know, significant in a, in a, a short period of time, a quarter. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want people to underestimate the value of just start there. If you don't have the, 
you know, the sophisticated marketing analytics teams and tools, and you don't have uh, an army of creative resources to help support versioning, I just think it's a great place to start. And, you know, I've personally seen movement by, by kind of taking that approach. And I think as, as you start to develop, um, you know, some learnings and you start to see some results, you can start pitching a case for more sophisticated tools and platforms and, and bigger teams to really scale your versioning and really dig into those client segments and say, okay, what types of buyers or segments within each of these um, customer groups and kind of take your marketing strategies to another level, which there are brands out there that are already there, you know, but I think it's, again, it's it, your summary was great. And I think it's a, a good starting point for a lot of marketers who are just trying to figure out how can they get better at kind of bridging that gap. So you're saying the starting point being having the consumer information and aligned understanding, you know, the data behind it, as much as you have available, and you know, even if you can't change the operational tools or even brand vision that you have put together, even if that stays the same, foundation is understanding you know your audiences or consumers and everything you know about them, and then using what is available to you to to get better. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's something available to you, right? <laughs> Businesses aren't running with no information. Often there's so much information, people just become paralyzed by it and don't know what to do with it. There is some information available to you about your client and it's the it's the starting point. Take the information, let that be the driver, let that dictate your performance and brand strategies and and build from there. And then, you know, your brand marketers and your digital marketers are starting from the same place, right? It's not to your earlier point. It's not, oh, what does the brand want to do? And what do they want to market? What do the merchants want to market? Okay, that's what we need to push out there. Instead, it changes that conversation and puts the focus on the customer and who she is and where she is and what we need to do or who which customers we need to target to make this business not just sustain, but grow over the, the next few years. And the conversation then starts there and your performance or growth marketers and your brand people can come together and start their conversation and then start bringing in all your other cross-functional peers who play a part in, you know, strategizing the season. But yeah, you know, I think that that is actually quite honestly an easy first step. If business performance is lagging, you know, right, you know, near term, you know, you're not hitting, you're not making your numbers, you're not hitting your quarter. Do you think that revisiting your brand strategy is a good thing to do, a good starting point? I, I'll go back to the data. I wouldn't necessarily jump to things aren't performing. Let's figure out what's wrong with the brand strategy. I know typically the default is when something isn't working, marketing is the first department everyone looks to. Oh, the subject line wasn't loud enough. Oh, the message wasn't clear. Oh, the offer should have been up higher on the homepage or the email or I didn't get the paid ad. I mean, it is the easiest department that goes under attack when business numbers aren't performing, right? Yeah, you can you can affect some things so people want to think that they can affect exactly. it. Exactly. Right? That's exactly right. And then I think second in line is probably the product, right? And they start saying, well, there's low product acceptance. People don't like the tops or the bottom, you know. So there's there's immediate kind of um, just judging whatever you can judge. And they typically, most companies tend to go to the area, like you said, that can affect quicker. I think that my first my first thought on that before I go, I would jump to the branding piece of it is just understanding where the clients in the business are coming from, right? In my past life, 
you know, we try to look at from a merchant standpoint, are there specific categories? And, and I'll just I'll just use the site as an example. Are there specific categories that are underperforming, right? Are people navigating there and then just not purchasing? Are they purchasing those same items in store, but not converting online? Because that might suggest perhaps it's not shot properly or styled properly, right? So I think you have to, before you assume business is down, even if it's been down consistently, that there's a brand messaging or branding problem, you kind of have to peel back the onion and look at what the data is telling you, right? Are there specific customer segments that are underperforming? You know, you might suggest that something's going on with the brand. If our messaging has gotten maybe too young and too kitschy and it doesn't necessarily resonate with our older customer or vice versa, right? Again, going back to your 101 segments, right? Am I losing in my retained? Am I doing well with acquiring new, which means something I'm doing is resonating with an audience that I'm trying to attract, but I'm alienating my core customer. So then you can start peeling back the onion and figuring out where am I actually losing my business? What's not performing? which then goes back to that team of like CRM, marketing analytics, customer strategy, and, and even merchandising and planning to help you as a marketer understand what is the issue. And I don't mean this week business is soft and let's send out a promotional message. I mean, business has been downtrending for a consistent period of time. What are the outliers? What are the channel outliers within digital marketing? Is it happening within email? Is it happening within paid search, right? What are the category outliers, et cetera, right? So I think I would start and have historically started with peeling back the onion. Now, in my experience, I have run into scenarios where it was the brand, right? I went through, um, there was a company I was- When you say it was the brand, you mean that the brand messaging or the brand like strategy overall was- you were just, they were just missing or it became no longer relevant enough? Yeah, that's exactly right. The positioning, the messaging, the overall communication strategy just wasn't resonating, right? And so this was probably maybe two or three years ago, a brand, a smaller brand that I was working with, um, a newer brand, less than about five years old. And we had noticed that we were seeing really high bounce rates on the site, right? We were driving traffic there through performance channels. People were bouncing at enormously high rates, right? Couldn't figure out why we couldn't keep her on the website. We saw really low conversion rates. Time spent on site was really low. I mean, you name it, all the standard site KPIs were just underperforming, right? Stores weren't necessarily seeing the same decline with the product. But it was really the website. The conversion was like less than 1%, which is like unheard of, right? So really, really, and again, it was a new brand, small budget, but really, really soft performance. And so we actually, we did some digging on our own to look at just like conversion funnel where there are points of friction. And then we realized, I don't know that that's going to answer the question because we can't even get her further, far enough down in the funnel to even start investigating friction issues, right? Let's figure out why we can't. Right. Right. We can't even get her to stay past the homepage or past the first new arrivals page. We know there's issues there. We know we need to fix those, but let's figure out why these new customers, 70% of the traffic was new, but they weren't staying. More than 80% of that 70%, if not higher, was, was bouncing immediately, right? So we were like, something is not resonating. So we decided after a lot of internal conversation to hire an outside agency to help us. They came in and helped us evaluate what was really happening on the website, right? And so they have this um, 
this approach they call problem solution mapping, PSM. And what they did was they helped us to validate what the real issues were. So we sat in a room, all the block, all of our cross-functional peers, marketing, planning, merchandising, IT, creative, et cetera. And we sat and we hypothesized, which is what most companies do. They hypothesize and they execute on like, oh, we think it's this. Let's let's go and redesign the checkout, right? But we hypothesized on the things that we thought were the issues. And we had this site optimization company validate for us what the real problems were, right? And so we were able to isolate what was happening. And the thing that rose to the top, which was what we suspected, because we could we couldn't get her past the homepage or, you know, like I said, the initial, you know, shopping category pages, they were able to uncover for us through some preliminary surveys and, and they had a they have a whole suite of sophisticated approaches to help kind of validate performance issues was that People didn't understand who the brand was. They, you know, the content we were marketing in our paid channels didn't necessarily tell a story or align. I shouldn't say didn't tell a story. It told a story. But then when she got to the site, the site experience didn't align with what she was expecting to see. She didn't understand what made this this brand different from other brands that sold similar product in the space. And so overall, in a nutshell, we learned that the branding just wasn't there. And, and they even went as far as to kind of analyze what she was experiencing in store versus what she was experiencing when she came to the website. And we uncovered that she had this incredible branded experience in the store that just did not translate to the website. Now, if bulk of your traffic is coming and discovering this brand online, that's a big problem, right? It's the, technically the largest storefront. And so, you know, that's an example of where we were able to clearly identify we have a brand issue, right? So we took away from that, we need to do two things because no business leader, no CEO is ever going to say, make the branding better and I'm going to give you, you know, half a million dollars to do it. No, it's like, make the branding better. Oh, and by the way, increase conversion by 20%, right? And so our task, it was, okay, we've got all this information now let's figure out, let's comb through the experience and figure out how we create a better brand experience. And at the same time, let's figure out how we create a more frictionless shopping experience to further drive conversion. So that's, an, that's a long-winded example of, there are instances we can dig into the details and confirm your branding and positioning is affecting. Again, I think it's not the go-to when businesses is underperforming. It's you just got to peel back the onion and start looking at the data and, and go with where what the data is telling. Yeah, no, I think that's a great example. Also, because it highlights you didn't have all the data you needed necessarily. You had to go get it, right? You know, sometimes there is, you like when you started, you could look at different customer segments. You could look at, obviously, your, you know, hopefully you have a single source of truth. Hopefully you have a, a single enterprise and customer source of truth. But most, let, let's face it, most retailers most businesses don't have that, right? There are competing maybe metrics sometimes that you have to navigate through. That's a separate episode that <laughs> we could talk about. Even if you have that, and even if you have that perfect initial data set, you're not going to have all the answers there, right? So what you guys did was you got in a room and you started hypothesizing and then you started testing or going after more data in a more focused way, knowing what the possible issues would be. It's a great balance of, you know, art and science there, just experience and, know, you know, knew your business or you knew the brand you know the, you knew what was going on more, you know, more broadly otherwise you wouldn't have launched the brand or, or had some success with it i'm also curious how in that time period knowing that if performance was lagging and you didn't have a great answer for why it was lagging or why you were not 
getting them to move on in the funnel. That's a hard conversation to have with, you know, the bosses or whoever that you're sort of uh, reporting out to and, and, and explaining. Did the um, discussion and buy-in on, on Path Forward improve, you know, from before to after? Yes, it did. And I think what was good about it, in this instance, it was I had the luxury of it being a smaller business. That's not to say it didn't impact the portfolio and it wasn't important because it absolutely was because money and time and resources were being invested in growing it. But, you know, in that instance, I was able to pull together data. The, you know, the question is, what's going on with the site? What's going on with the site? Why aren't we making any money? Why aren't, you know, and the numbers are the numbers, right? And so I, that's why I keep going back to getting as much data as possible. The conversation got easier once we were able to validate that, yes, we we could say with some certainty that there were some issues within the site experience that may have been causing friction that could be affecting performance. But the bigger issue is we can fix that, but the amount of people making it there is so small that yes, we can get those people through the funnel and tr- or try to push those people through the funnel, but the impact is going to be greater if we can get those people who are coming, who are interested, right? Like I said, at the time, 70 or 73% of the traffic coming to that site was brand new first time visitor traffic that was not making it past two pages, right? It wasn't high enough quality and, and the brand wasn't working. And so the value in getting those customers further down and getting that engagement and getting the brand right, we were able to prove that that is that was that would be more valuable to this brand long term than doing a couple of quick fixes that are only going to affect a small percent of traffic, right? And so, you know, I think the more we were able to share information, and then when we hired, we said, listen, we need we need some outside experts. I think you have to be honest too with like the skills in your building and what you have and the resources that you have available. And and we have a great, at the time, we had a really great product team, but to do that amount of work was really extensive. And like I said, it was a smaller brand. We can't take those resources off of other businesses that are kind of our bread and butter to focus on this smaller brand. So we were able to kind of pitch the case to bring in someone to help us really get this done and get it done right. And, you know, we were able to, we we almost hit our 20% conversion target. We came within a few points of that. And we really changed the brand perception. Then a lot of those metrics we saw we saw as we were iterating and kind of because we didn't just say, okay, here's here's the old experience, here's a new one, flip the switch and we're done. We tested and iterated kind of along the way. So it was really a phased approach. And so we were able to validate and prove that these improvements were having a significant impact on the on the bottom line of the business. So yeah, I did find that it helped to change the conversation and it changed the questions being asked of us, right? I think it opened up the leadership team to say, hey, these things are important. These things do matter. It's not enough to slap up a basic site with a brand logo and say, you know, spend some marketing dollars and get them to convert. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes thoughtfulness. So it changed the conversation. I think there was a lot of a lot more receptiveness around the process and a lot more respect, quite honestly. I think we landed in a good place and, and we actually take that approach now with a lot of the changes we made, you know, post that redesign. Yeah, it's a good example. I, I like to say that the metrics or the, the data or being more data-driven isn't going to solve your problem, but it's certainly going to make the conversations you have turn with a lot less spin, right? And maybe this is an example of, of how that helped 
certainly bridge the gap between brand and performance. And, and actually, it, it sounds like be able to achieve both of the goals, right? The, the short and long term, um, improve the brand, drive acquisition, as well as, you know, improve the sort of uh, site conversion and performance that you needed to. As someone who has sat in both paid media leader and site, you know, owned or email leader roles, do you find that the, you know, brand versus performance dynamics, whatever that means exactly, um, are common or is it, a, is it a different conversation, you know, in one or the other? Yeah, I would say that the site component is probably more challenging than the performance media, the performance marketing piece. I only say that because what I have found in my experience is the teams that are are pulling together assets for your performance marketing content typically perceive them as kind of short-lived, right? They're out in the market for a specific period of time. They're constantly changing. You've got, you know, programmatic buying where things are auto-optimizing. There's a lot of input coming from um, your partners, right, in the space, advising you on the type of content that's working well. You're seeing results constantly in real time, impressions, ROAS, conversion, you know, click-through rates, et cetera. And I would imagine, at least in my experience, most marketing teams are sharing that information with their creative partners, right? This is working well. This isn't working well. She's responding to this. She's not responding to that. And I think because there's more of a, there's a third party, more objective, not kind of personal perspective being folded into the mix. There's, I have found there's more receptiveness to marketing, directing a lot of that type of content, right? And that's just in my own experience. Directing the paid media content. Yes, yes. I think there's more receptiveness to that. I also think that there are some people within the creative arena and copy arena that don't fully understand all the intricacies of paid media and how it works, right? And so you get less resistance and less challenge in that area as well, because there are so many variations of assets that you as an individual may never see because they're so hyper-targeted that it's not as easy to have the strong debate on that, right? Whereas when you're thinking about an email campaign or a website Everyone is seeing it. Everyone's looking at it. Everyone has an opinion. The conversations are very similar. I think the output is a little different because of the objectiveness you have of the third party and the massive amount of assets you're creating within the paid media space. So I think that kind of creates a little buffer there. I'm curious how critical you think creative of any kind are to like bridging that gap? Like, is that the main, you know, bridge, if you will, between brand and performance? Or, you know, we've also talked about a lot of other levels, uh, levers, excuse me, surrounding, you know, this around audience, around um, how how we are operationalizing and so on. But we couldn't have a episode or conversation about balancing brand performance and not really dig into creative a little bit more. Yeah, I think... You know, I don't mean to sound redundant. I think it still goes back to the data. And yes, creative creative is extremely important. Creative and messaging hand in hand. So I'll just say creative, but I'm referring to creative and copy are and even imagery, right? The 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 product in the imagery, the image the imagery itself, how it's styled, the way that all comes together is it, right? That is it. It has to be relevant. It is, it is what will bridge the gap because 
if you create that content with any data you have, whether it's from your vendors on what works, what doesn't work, whether it's leveraging your CRM data, whatever it is that is fueling the creation of that content, that content has to resonate, right? I could be marketing to you because you look like the ideal customer and you have a high predicted future profit and you shop with us three times a year. And if I'm not sending you the right message, if I'm sending you skirts and you're like, I don't wear skirts, it doesn't matter, right? Um, or if the, the messaging and the content don't feel brand right or relevant, it doesn't matter how many times I market to you because the likelihood of you responding decreases because you're like, why are they sending me this? I'm a regular shopper. Don't they know what I'm I'm into by now? At the end of the day, the data is what fuels the creation, but the actual creation of it has to resonate, right? It has to speak to her. It has to evoke an emotion. It has to connect. Um, and it has to be brand right. So yes, I do think that it is, it's extremely important that that be held as kind of the key to bridging bridging that gap. Right. Yeah. The way that you describe it also is it is the bridge. It is the thing that ultimately tells you whether or not the, you're getting the right balance and you have these, you know, both sides to this equation, right. Or balanced, which is a great thing to look at as an indicator. At the same time, it doesn't necessarily tell you what's a bigger problem, right? Is it, it's the most, the truest source of telling you if your creative is not performing for you, that you probably have a brand or performance marketing or overall business problem, then you got to unpack it more, right? But it's a, it's a, it's a great intersection of the two things together. I see, I see how you're, you're saying that and measuring that and understanding it is a, is a, is a leading indicator that there is a bigger problem at play for sure. Right. And in that example, that assumes you're, you're targeting, you know, segments and, and who you're going after with that content are, on point, right? That assumes that I know Brandon buys skirts. He shops with me a few times a year. He's a full price shopper. He's into trends. He's not about the promo. This, you know, he's considered a, a highly valued retained client, right? That assumes that the direction I'm giving to my creative peers is based on that data that I know about this customer that I am then marketing to through whatever vehicle it is, performance, email, whatever. So assuming that that information is deemed accurate, if the creative doesn't perform, the first place I'm going to go is the creative, right? But obviously, if your segmentation or your targeting is off, then creative isn't the first place to look. Your first place is like, did I target the right kind of what I was getting at, which is if the, if the creative is not working, and you don't know if your audiences are right, you don't know if you know, your placements are right, then you got to back up and move forward on the data to on and unpack it. Exactly, exactly. It's a really good question. Because I think people, when something doesn't perform, you know, it goes back to like what you can see is what you kind of react to. People initially will say, oh, that, that wasn't styled well. That's not the right dress. We need to reshoot it. Well, that's not the right pair of jeans, you know, so it, it typically is the go-to, but you really have to kind of take it a step further and, and check all the boxes and make sure everything pre that, pre that creative is accurate and it, make, and it makes sense, right? And then kind of peel back the onion from there. I don't always know where someone is gonna head with the answer to this question. And I mean this in a good way, the main thesis has been made clear, and it's not surprising knowing you, but I hopeful, I'm hopeful that our, our listeners have learned a thing or two 
as well for your peers or other marketers and leaders that are sitting in a position like you have before and will continue to in the future at a brand that is struggling to balance brand and performance and is kind of lacking, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I move forward? What would you recommend they do first? You know, where do they start and then where do they go from there? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I thought it was going to be some some funny personal question when you <laughs> when you frame that up. So I'm glad it was a professional one. <laughs> um, the first thing I would say for brands who are struggling to figure out brand versus performance and where to start is you can't think about them as versus one another. You, you have to kind of think about them as conjoined. They, they happen. One does not happen without the other. Think of them as a marriage. Content and commerce is kind of the way I usually refer to them is you just have to kind of strip away. If you're inviting someone from brand to the meeting, invite someone from performance to the meeting. If you're inviting someone from performance to the discussion, you invite someone from brand. They really have to happen in sync. So that's the first thing I would say is just like a baseline starting point because once someone is at the table, the conversations and thoughts and ideas just happen from there, right? So be inclusive is what you're saying. Being inclusive. Thank you for summarizing that. Being inclusive. I think it's an easy starting point to just foster the right conversation. The second thing I will say is I think if you prioritize the data, like know the client, know the audience, be clear about who you're going after and have that be the first step in your strategy, you can then collectively with brand and performance build your approach from there um, as opposed to, again, starting with one versus the other. So be inclusive in the conversation, know who you're going after, know who your audience is. And then the, the third thing I would say is be clear on how you're going to measure this, right? Start measuring things if you can from both both aspects. If there's a way to, to measure whether or not this, this worked from a brand standpoint, measure it. If you can do a pre and post survey, if you can do some sort of brand lift study with Facebook, like measure it. Why not do that all the time, right? So when you can do that, don't just look at the, the media KPI, right? Layer in brand performance KPIs. And when you start reporting on things, you can report on them more holistically. And you're not just saying, we got X amount of impressions, a high ROAS, X conversion. It keeps the inclusive and it becomes a brand and performance, you know, conversation. And um, I think the last thing I would say is, well, I, I kind of mentioned this early on, bring being inclusive, but bring your CFTs to the table as well, because it's not just a marketing conversation. I think it starts probably with the data. Your cross-functional teams. Cross-functional teams, exactly. Sorry, I use a lot of acronyms. But, you know, start with the data, start with your marketing teams, your digital and your brand marketing teams and your data teams, figure out what you want to do and how you want to do it, and then bring all your other cross-functional peers to the table so that they feel part of the content and strategy creation. And they're not just responding to what they're seeing and saying, hey, this isn't the right product. They're in, in the discussion early on. And as a marketer, I have to always say this is just budget for near and long-term success, Right. Plan for testing, plan for driving the business immediately, but plan for long term, right? It's one of the great things about multi-touch attribution. You know, when I was working with Ovative in my last position is it helps us to think about here's what you're going to get now, but here's what you could get in the future, right? Here's what the assumption is or predicted future profit profit will be long term from, from an online and in-stores perspective. So always keep that in mind. So those are, those are I think, that was four or five. Points, I would say. No, I, I love it. 
for what it's worth, you did not answer that question in, in the way that I thought you were going to. You did hit on some of the points, but this theme around, especially inclusivity, I think is is a unique one. And maybe for the next time you're on the show, we can dig in there more. I think all your other points are super valid too. And and the 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 point around like it is measurable, right? Like what, whatever it is, it is measurable. Measure it in some form. Don't use it as an excuse. Find a partner, especially for larger, more established brands. When you're talking about this conundrum between brand and performance, measure it. Inclusive. Don't be afraid of that because I think a lot of people, and, and I've sat in those seats too. I can understand it. You know, sort of fear that collaboration and and the change of plan agenda that could be you know go along with it. Um, but if you're measuring and you're inclusive, then you'll have a common language to talk about things. It's a great sort of close for our listeners to to hear. Okay, so one other maybe question for you really to close out is do you feel like you're going to be able to empathize more with your husband now that you've spent over an hour we'll call a phone or phone like conversation no i don't think i will i, I feel like you know my hope is that uh, this is helping not not that not to say that your relationship needs help but like it is improving it's giving you a bond you know and and helping you guys uh mature <laughs> you know he is a phone person and he can talk for hours with his brother and his family and whomever i enjoyed this conversation it was enlightening and i enjoyed talking about what i do for a living so it was great and it was great listening to you and you asking some great questions it does not create any empathy for me and i will still keep all my conversations to a less than five minute uh maximum so you and me both all right Des. well thank you so much thanks brandon take care take care bye